Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I am so excited to have another wonderful couple join me on the podcast today. Bob and Susan Wathen are the parents of Christina, Stephanie, and Hannah, and the grandparents of Oliver, Xander, Nora, Lizzie, Ariel, and Hudson. We met them for the first time a little over four years ago when they attended our first While We're Waiting weekend at the Refuge Retreat Center. Y'all were part of that shakedown crew, as I recall, the folks that kind of had to figure out all the little little bugs and little things that we didn't quite do right when we built the place, and y'all were good sports about that. And now you help facilitate some of our While We're Waiting events. Uh, We quickly bonded with them when we met them because of our love for our children and our mutual love of the Lord. And we're blessed to call them our friends, and I'm so pleased to welcome them to the podcast today. Well, hello, Jill. Uh, Thank you for giving us this opportunity to, again, share our story on another platform. And we just pray that uh, tonight the Lord will be glorified with uh, what takes place and that it's helpful. Thank you. Let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and what you do there. All right. Well, we are in Hannibal, Missouri, which is the northeast corner of the state of Missouri, right on the Missouri-Illinois border, right on the Mississippi River. Um, Some people may be listening and thinking that sounds familiar. It's the boyhood home of Mark Twain. That's our claim to fame here in Hannibal. And I happen to be a Hannibal native, Hmm. um, born and raised here and we met at college. Um, I am the vice president of human resources for the local health care system here. Well, and uh, I'm originally from southern Illinois. Uh, when I say southern, I mean southern, like almost to Kentucky. Um, and that's where I was raised. And I came to Hannibal to go to Hannibal Grange College. And I didn't finish school, but I met a cute little Hannibal girl and I never left. Ah, so that so, was a good decision. Uh, <laughs> yes, and I'm currently working for a uh, major food manufacturer here in Hannibal. All right, very good. So how many years have y'all been married? 34. 34 years. Wow. Yes. Yeah, y'all are just a year or two ahead of Brad and I. So, um, <laughs> And you have three daughters and six grandkids. So tell us a little bit about about them. All right, so... It's funny, we've been married a couple years, we were ready to start our family, and uh, found out we were expecting, and we're so excited, and, uh, you know, this guy right here was the only son, he had three sisters, and he prayed for girls yes. all three times. Wow. Yeah, he, he was a, a daddy to girls, just at heart, yeah. and so that was just his heart's prayer each time. Our oldest daughter and her husband live here in Hannibal. And they have three of our grandkids. They have Nora, Lizzie, and Hudson. And then our middle daughter, Stephanie, lives about an hour from here with her husband. And they have Oliver, Xander, and Ariel. And they're, they're 55 minutes from door to door, from our house to their doors, the front door. So it's not too bad, um, not too far. 
there are three and a half years between Christina and Stephanie. And, you know, with each of them, when we decided we were ready to, to have a baby, we got pregnant right away. I think we thought we had something to do with it. And when we decided we wanted a third baby, it, it took a year. And uh, that's part of the reason Hannah's named Hannah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. about Samuel and, and uh, just how Hannah and the Bible had to wait. We had to wait for our Hannah Elizabeth. And so she is four and a half years younger than Stephanie. And the three sisters just grew up very close. Like Susan said, uh, you know, I just prayed for girls. I don't know why. I just always, uh, that was just my heart's desire. And I truly enjoyed uh, being a a daddy to daughters. It was uh, a time like no other. I really uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think my biggest fear was if I had a boy, I would get one just like me. And I uh, wasn't too sure how that would go, but uh, as the Lord would see fit, I did get one just like me, but her name was Stephanie. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it, was, it was great. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, uh, there's something special about a girl dad. You know, we have two girls as well, and Brad was just the perfect girl dad. And, uh, you know, what a, what a blessing our Hannahs were to both of us, I know. Oh, yes. No question. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about Hannah in particular. Help us get to know her a little bit. All right. So Hannah, you know, the baby of the family, um, introvert, definitely an introvert. Um, Hannah was the one that even at a young age just had an innate ability to tell when someone was maybe didn't feel like they were included kind of on the fringe. And even at a young age, she would work to include everybody, um, include those around her. Um, Brilliant, very, very good student, um, even from a young age, just excelled, loved to read, loved people, loved her family a lot, Um, very involved in church, youth group, obviously, then as she got older. Um, Some of the descriptors that... uh, People used, you know, even when we were coming to the first retreat, uh, for those couples that have, are listening that have been to a retreat at while we're waiting and can picture themselves driving in that very first time and knowing they're going to get to share their child's story but wondering what in the world they're going to say, we were that way as we were driving in for that first retreat. And so we just put a post on Facebook and tagged her and said, you know, share a few words about, about how you would describe Hannah because we're going to get to tell her life story. And you know, a lot of those words were just um, funny and inclusive and caring. And that was just, she had a heart for people. Um, but she also had a uh, brilliant sense of humor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, from my perspective as a dad, you know, I uh, used to be an extrovert. Uh, I've somewhat not anymore because of, of how things have turned out. But, you know, I was extrovert and didn't mind being in a large crowd and it didn't scare me, didn't scare me to walk into a room of people I didn't know. Uh, but Hannah wasn't that way. And uh, I used to just think that that's something, you know, ah, she could grow out of that. And uh, I had a, a friend from church who one day she posted something on Facebook about, you know, top 10 things and an introvert wish you knew and as I read through that I began to see oh that's that's Hannah to a T and it really gave me an insight into uh, to how she 
uh, functioned on the inside. And I, I thanked that friend for sharing that with me because it gave me an appreciation and uh, a different look in my relationship with Hannah. I still would take opportunities to embarrass her in public, but not as much and not as long. But, uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, that relationship. And she had my sense of humor, but her mother's brain. And so uh, she was really, really intelligent with it. You know, she didn't use her humor to to hurt people, but uh, she was really able to to be the life of her friends. You know, if you were Hannah's friend, you knew it, uh, but you didn't really get to know the real Hannah until she was comfortable around you. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. And we mentioned that Hannibal's right on the Mississippi River, and we're a tourist town, Mark Twain's hometown. Um, One of the tourist attractions is called the Mark Twain Riverboat. And so that had been Hannah's job for three seasons, three years. And she loved working on the riverboat. She loved her riverboat family, um, loved the river. And so that was was a really important, Important part of her life in high school was just that job and the responsibilities that she got to have on on that job. The people she got to meet, you know, were describing an introvert, and yet through that job, it, it was almost like a an extrovert. Hannah would come out if she was the one selling the photos as they came down the gangplank to leave. It it was her role to be friendly to people and try to sell photos, and so that was just. Uh, there were a lot of things about that job that she loved so much that really brought her out of her shell, too. Um, yeah, she loved that job. So, yeah, if she was given a task, she was going to do it well. Yeah. She was uh, getting ready to graduate third in her class and planned to be a doctor. And she chose uh, the field of medicine because her goal in life was to be able to help people. We went on a number of trips to Guatemala, and she just had a heart for, for the mission field in Guatemala. And, I would envision that she would have spent some time, you know, not permanently as a missionary, but definitely would have used her medical skills on the mission field. Sure. Wow. She sounds like a remarkable young lady. Someone I really would have enjoyed getting to know. She actually reminds me a bit of myself (laughs) in some ways. So, and she actually sounds a lot like my Hannah Joy, too. Um, But you said she she was third in her class and she was getting ready to graduate. And um, just a few days away from her high school graduation, something happened. And what was that? So senior week um, here in Hannibal, Hannibal High School, one of the traditions that had gone on for several years, the Monday night of senior week, and we had the award ceremony. So, you know, the seniors got had, it was a big award ceremony. They were presented scholarships and awards and, you know, just really recognized for their achievements and then later that night, the seniors camped out on the football field there at um, Hannibal High School Stadium, Pirate Stadium. And so they did that, and it was a little after 2 a.m. when my phone rang, and I was it was Hannah calling me to pick her up because a lot of those seniors had been drinking, and the police had come. And partying and drinking were not necessarily characteristic of Hannah at all. Um, So I went and picked her up at the football field, brought her home. We sat down and visited with her for a little while. Um, Not not any sort of um, angry conversation, no raised voices. And one of the questions we said, why why did you do? Why why were you drinking on school property? And she said, it's senior week. And so in her mind, it was just part of the tradition of senior week. Um, You know, there were some things that 
happened before I got there. We lived close to the high school, so I was the first parent there that we didn't learn about for a while. Um, But we had a conversation with her, and she went to bed, and we went to bed, and we went to work the next day. Um, And, you know, thinking, she knew she was in trouble, but not thinking it was a huge deal. Right. So, we both went to work, and I came home to bring lunch to her and have lunch with her. And during the course of the morning, she had made the decision to end her life. You know, it made no sense to us. Obviously, everything in our life was forward-facing. So immediately, we went from planning a huge graduation party, looking forward to her going away to school, looking forward to her being a doctor. Everything was exciting and forward-looking. Yeah. And just in an instant... Just an unbelievable instant, our world was turned upside down. Yeah, so uh, there we were, like Susan said, everything was forward-looking, and all of a sudden, here we are. Our daughter had had taken her own life uh, in the basement of our home, and and we just really trying to wrap our minds around what just happened, how how did we get here, Uh, and then so uh, we just... Didn't know what to do other than just lean in on the Lord and uh, and our friends and family. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of weeks after Hannah passed away that uh, we began to hear uh, the rest of the story. Hannah's uh, friends, of course, they're all just as shocked as we are and reeling and uh, looking for answers and uh, just something to cling to. And we began to have Wednesday night family dinners at our home that summer for Hannah's friends to come over and just mm-hmm. to be together. Wow. One, yeah, one of the parents from uh, from this group of kids would supply the dinner so nobody had to cook. There wasn't any cleanup. And then this way we got to, to be together and kind of walk them through this. Uh, they needed us. We needed them. You know, didn't really know them that well. And, and a couple of them we knew very well. Yes, but it's, a couple. Yeah. As far as the big group. Right. Yeah. So, so we had that. And then uh, a couple of weeks after after she died one night, a couple of her really close friends, the ones that we knew, uh, would stay and, and talk. And we began to get the, the full scope of that night when, when the police showed up and to do the breathalyzer. Uh, and not all of them were drinking, but a large group of them were. And then those kids were, were separated. And uh, there were three police officers that came. And one of them um, just tried to scare the kids and uh, I don't really know for sure what he was trying to accomplish but just uh, was telling them things like because you were drinking on school property you're not going to get to graduate you know for write you tickets you know you're going to lose your scholarships and all these things and you've ruined your life for for one night of partying Mm. you know most of the rest of the kids just they just didn't think anything about it and uh, just went on their way but Hannah, who internalized things, uh, really took that to heart, and she didn't share that with us, or we could have spoken to that. And so, and she'd also never been in trouble ne- like that before. Right. And then so, so she had that, and she really thought that she these things were true, and that she wasn't going to be able to become a doctor. And she just thought that that was what was going to happen. And 
uh, you know, the school would find out and she wouldn't get to go. And so she thought the only way out was to uh, to take her own life. And so, yeah, that's one of the things her note said was that um, I'm just a screw up now and I'm not going to be able to complete the things I planned. Yeah. So that that's what was going through her mind that morning. Absolutely unbeknownst to us. Mm. Yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. Just a heartbreaking situation. So have you had to deal with some issues related to forgiveness regarding the police officer? We have. Uh, you know, we really haven't had a, a face-to-face uh, with him uh, per se. But, you know, it's a small community. And as we share our story, that's, that's part of our story. Uh, and in the, in the beginning, like from the very first day, we knew that this didn't happen outside of God's sovereign will. And we, in the chaos, were trusting him, even though we didn't know and couldn't see. But when we began to get this, this full picture, uh, then our, our human hearts began to, to want to place blame. And we began to, to chase the what ifs and okay. And, and all of these things, and, and we began to to go down that road, and it was it was literally dragging us down, and the peace that we had before was gone, and we were in that maybe two or three days, just in a downward spiral, and it just began to tear us apart and, and eat us up, before the Lord gently uh, got our attention and, and pulled us back to the things that we knew that were true about him and that this man's words and actions didn't cause Hannah's death and that that didn't trump our sovereign God and and his complete control. Uh, And so we had to to give forgiveness even though he doesn't know. Right. We we have forgiven him. And I think it's like any major... Fortunately, the Lord does not forgive us the way we forgive others. He forgives us and he removes it as far as the East is from the West. And, you know, we both, we have forgiven this police officer. But I would be lying if I didn't say that there have been times in the last five and a half years when I think about it, that it doesn't still cause some anger to rise up or some blame to rise up. I don't stay there, um, but I'm human and oh, yeah. it's just easy to think about how everything was forward forward at this exciting pace and the fact that those his words were the thoughts that were going through her mind that morning. His words were what Satan used that really to deceive her that morning. So. In, in another aspect, you know, we live in a small community. Susan and I have been married for 34 years. When we first got married, we lived in a little apartment on North 5th Street in Hannibal. And there was a house down on the corner that had five kids, and four of them were boys. And three of them would come over and knock on the door and ask Susan if Bobby could come out and play. <laughs> and I would go play football, and we'd go sledding with these boys. Yep. And, and I, I would play with them. Well, one of those young boys grew up to be that police officer. Wow. So... He's been a part of our story for 34 years. Yeah. And, you know, that's just another aspect of, of how God can weave a story together that you just can't imagine. Yeah, it's amazing. 
It's amazing. So do you feel like there are issues that a parent who loses a child to suicide has to deal with that complicate the grief journey? I think so. I I would say yes. And to complicate the grief journey doesn't mean that our loss is worse than another parent, than a parent who has lost a child in another way, whether that be an illness or another type of accident. Um, But I do think there are things that with suicide that make it a little more complicated. Um, There's a, there's a pamphlet that we've, seen that the American Psychological Society puts out, and it's specific to suicide. And one of the things that it really quotes that sticks with me is that for people that have lost a loved one, it's not child-specific, but an immediate family member to suicide, that is the equivalent of trauma of a concentration camp. Mm. And so I think for parents to lose a child and that level of grief already, to add that level of trauma that the American Psychological Society equates it with going through a concentration camp, I, I, I would say that adds a level of complication. Um, yes, and then there's uh, a stigma that's uh, attached to suicide by society, like that we as parents did something wrong. Or, you know, that uh, we somehow could have raised our child differently. You know, that there's that that goes along with it. You know, just the guilt of, did I do something wrong? Did we miss something somewhere? Could we have done something different? You know, so there's there's those layers that are added uh, specifically with suicide. I think even you talking about the stigma, even of the word suicide, um, I came home at lunchtime, as I said, and, of course, there were probably about three hours from 11.30 when I got home until things calmed down at all in our home. And by calm down enough, I just mean that the police and EMS and detectives and everybody left. And um, our middle daughter had gone to the high school, and again, which is not too far from our house, to minister to some of Hannah's friends. And so we got in the vehicle And this is kind of toward the end of the school day. And we walked into the school office to do the same thing. Wow. And uh, one of the things, the principal and the superintendent of schools actually pulled us into his office and said, you know, we really need to be able to go talk to the the teachers and staff. And what do you want us to tell them? We said, you tell them that she took her own life. I mean, we were, you don't sugarcoat that. This is what happened. And we don't know why, but this is what happened. And so even when you think about the stigma associated with it, it, even the school didn't know what to tell their own teachers. And maybe it was a privacy thing, too, but um, I think they were looking for something easier to say than that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that amazes me that you all were able to go, uh, just even to pull yourself together and kind of have the presence of mind to go and minister at the school the very same day. That's a that's a Holy Spirit thing. That's not a Bob and Susan thing. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, even that night, uh, there was supposed to be a riverboat cruise for the seniors that night, Tuesday night, and they canceled that. And then there was a, a church here in Hannibal that opened their doors to all of these kids. And uh, I think it was about 7 o'clock in the evening mm-hmm. when uh, we were made aware that, that they were there. Uh, and my daddy heart just 
broke for all of these kids. And I told Susan, I said, come on, let's go. And we had some friends that yeah. drove us over there. So we, we need to go love on these kids. And we walked in uh, and just began to hug on parents. And we walked into the sanctuary, and I just walked up in front of all the kids. Uh, and I felt the Holy Spirit take over as I addressed them. And I really don't remember much about what I said, uh, but I, I just remember telling them that even though it seems like chaos now, that, uh, that God is still on his throne and he is in control, and together we, uh, we will get through this. And so uh, we've, we've been ministering to, to friends and family from the very beginning. That's powerful. And like you said, that has to be a Holy Spirit thing. I mean, that, there's no it way is. that it kind was. of strength could come from you alone. No, no question. Yeah. And with Hannah, too, there were absolutely no signs, were there? No. no. You know, when the detectives were here at the house and asking us questions. Had, you know, had there been, had she had a recent breakup with a boyfriend and she hadn't. And did she have a boyfriend and she didn't. There was a. A list of guys that probably would have wanted to be on that yeah. on that list, but uh, she hadn't had a boyfriend and for a while. And um, I think the detectives left our house to go to school and talk to her, you know, guidance counselor and teachers and close friends, thinking that mom and dad just didn't know what they were talking about. And we, you know, we we had missed something that had happened in her life, and besides what happened the night before, and. They, they learned from her teachers and guidance counselor and her close friends that that wasn't the case, that this was absolutely completely out of the blue. Yeah. We've had many parents that have attended our retreats that have lost kids to suicide that are in the same position where there was absolutely no sign, no indication, no way they could have known what their child was about to do. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just a hard thing. Yes. So, are there any particular scriptures that you guys have clung to that have been helpful to you uh, on this journey? Well, I have, yes. And I even shared this at Hannah's funeral. And then when I went back to work five weeks later, uh, I addressed my coworkers uh, before we started the shift that day because obviously it was going to be awkward and I just mm-hmm. wanted to, uh, to get it out in the open. Uh, but Matthew chapter 10 it has been a foundation for me for a long time. And it's where Jesus sends the 12 out for the first time and tells them things that they're going to encounter and what they're going to come up against. Uh, and he, be, he begins in verse 28 and he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than sparrows. You know, and I love that passage where he says that, you know, two sparrows worth half a cent each do not fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And are you not more valuable than that? And I don't know if you've maybe heard that preached before that that when a sparrow falls to the ground God sees it. That's not what that passage says. That passage says that a half cent sparrow that doesn't have much worth does not fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And so my precious Hannah, as amazing a person as she was, did not 
fall apart from the will of, of the Lord. So the, as tragic as her death was, it passed through his hands. Do I understand that? No. With my finite mind, I cannot begin to grasp that that is the best picture that could be painted with this beautiful life. But I know that that God is true in who he says he is, and nothing that I knew or believed about God changed the day that Hannah died. All of those things were still true. And so it it brings me comfort to know that what transpired did not catch God by surprise. You know, we want to believe in God's sovereignty for good things in our life. But what do we do when things don't turn out as we plan? We still trust that God, who is outside of time, who sees the end from the beginning, knows. And uh, it's it's not a, a scapegoat kind of thing just to just say, oh, God's got this. But I, I truly believe that and that... Uh, that even now God is still using Hannah's life uh, for his glory. And so that, that passage really uh, was tremendous for me. So sometimes it's hard to narrow it down to just one. But I, I think if I, have to, if I have to pick one, it's 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. And uh, in this it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when I think about the the grief journey that a parent goes through after losing a child, this is just that reminder that it's a, a horrible affliction, but it's described as light and momentary. It doesn't feel light, and it doesn't feel momentary most days, but it, it's in God's Word, it is. But it's preparing for us an eternal, not a momentary, but an eternal weight, not a light, but an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So even in these moments that are so hard, they're light and momentary compared to what the Lord is preparing for us. I mean, our minds can't even grasp the eternal weight of glory that he is preparing for us. Um, One of the things we did that first Christmas, I've always sent Christmas letters and Christmas cards to our extended family and, you know, friends. We're just old enough. We still do Christmas cards and letters. And, you know, it's really tempting that year to not do one because it was hard. Oh, yes. But we did. And one of the things that we put in each of those was a puzzle piece. We just got a puzzle. I couldn't even tell you what the puzzle was. That part wasn't important. The important part was each person that got a Christmas card got a puzzle piece. And this Bible scripture reference was written on the back of it, just 2 Corinthians 14, uh, 4, 16 through 18. But then in the Christmas letter, we explained why they had that puzzle piece. And, you know, in this grief journey, or in a lot of different parts of our lives when things don't make sense or we don't like what we're going through, it's that reminder that we see this little piece of a puzzle. And when we look at it, the colors may not even be pretty on that particular piece. 
And you often can look at a piece of a puzzle and have no idea what the big picture is supposed to be just from that one piece of the puzzle. So in our Christmas letter, we reminded them that what we were going through in 2015 was this little ugly puzzle piece. But we had to remember that that light momentary affliction was related to some big puzzle that the sovereign king of the universe could see. He knew the whole picture. We saw one little piece of the puzzle, um, but, but he had the whole picture, that eternal weight of glory beyond anything we could imagine or compare. I love that illustration. And how perfect to include that with your first Christmas card that you sent out, her Christmas letter. Um, yeah, we're old enough, too. We, we send, we don't anymore. It, life has just gotten to where we can't do it anymore. But for years, and even years after Hannah went to heaven, we still did the Christmas letter and all of that. And, boy, I remember how hard that first one was. Even just, just signing a, a letter or a card and not putting that child's name in it. You know, was just every, it, just so painful. All of that was so painful. Um, when this podcast airs, actually, um, it will be just about a week or two before Christmas this year. Okay. Um, how have you found ways to um, deal with the holidays and still remember and celebrate Hannah um, in the middle of a difficult holiday season? I love Christmas. I, I love family together. It's not about the presents, um, but I do love the holidays and I love the decorating and um, so many memories of baking with the girls and making Christmas candies and cookies and you know, just all of those traditions that go with family and holidays. So again, that first one was the first Christmas um, was just really hard and um, just struggled on whether to decorate at all. Mm-hmm. And so what we came up with was instead of all of the decorations, we got a little tabletop tree and we put purple lights on it. Purple was Hannah's favorite color. And one of the things we had done every Christmas as the girls grew up is they each got a Christmas ornament every year. And oftentimes they were personalized. They would either have their names on it or the date or something special, a trip we had done that year or something special we had done or something special related to what they had done that year. And so when Christina got married and left home, she had taken hers with her. And when Stephanie left home, she had taken hers with her. And so what we had left were just some some generic ornaments, but then we had Hannah ornaments. And so that little tabletop tree with the purple lights came our Hannah Christmas tree. And her senior year, there are two bigger dances for the Hannibal High School. And um, the Jack of Hearts dances when the girls ask the guys. And that had been in the fall. And her dress was this beautiful gold and black dress. Um, Just bright gold and black, just a beautiful dress. And so we used that as the tree skirt and had her Hannah ornaments and the purple lights, and several people gave us memorial ornaments that first Christmas. And that was the extent of our decorating for that year. And it was enough. Um, But every year since, that tree goes in the bedroom window, even though the rest of the decorations go throughout the house. The Hannah tree still goes up every year. 
So that was kind of what we did that first Christmas. Um, I didn't fix the big Christmas meal and have everyone to our home like we had done for years and just let family know that for that year I couldn't do it and they understood. Um, But that was Christmas that year. Birthdays and her heaven-going day. That's what I was waiting to see if you were going to talk about those. (laughs) I didn't know if you wanted to address that now. Sure, whoever would like to talk about it. Well, one of the things that we've we've done on her heaven day, we kind of had a routine starting that uh, that first year. You know, on the anniversary, is there was a local coffee shop in town called Java Jive, and we would get there uh, about eleven o'clock or a little after, and as a family have lunch, just enjoy that time together, and then we would go for a uh, a cruise on the riverboat. That first year, they knew we were coming, and so they had put together a picture board of, of many goofy pictures that she had taken because, you know, for, I think, her first year, she was in charge of, of taking pictures and going and developing them. And so uh, <laughs> she used the camera a lot uh, with her sense of humor and uh, with her and her friends. And so there were multiple pictures that they had, and so they have a, a picture board up, and to this to this uh, day, you know, when we go on, on May 19th, that picture board is out. They know we're coming. So uh, we do that, and then we would go out to to the cemetery and uh, just spend some time together. And that's become our, our tradition for her Heaven Day, and it's, it was a little different this year uh, for COVID, and the girls' families have kind of changed things some, but we still try to get together as much as we can. Mm-hmm. As far as birthdays, you know, we've done several different things. You know, we, we celebrate her life that day. Um, and we probably learned this idea through the While We're Waiting Facebook group. Um, but we've had a couple different times where we've just gone to a local bakery and asked if there happened to be a birthday cake that we could pay for, you know, just in Hannah's memory. The first birthday, and remember again, Hannah's, uh, Hannibal's a tourist town, so there's a lot of people in town. Um we took tracks and money or gift cards, gift I don't cards. remember, gift cards, in an envelope and just wrote a note on it that this was a gift, anonymous gift, um, in memory of our daughter or in honor of our daughter's birthday. Yeah. And we just went around downtown and we looked for specifically out of state plates so that we would know it was tourists. And we left those um, like on windshields. Just, just, our gift to Hannibal Tourist, I guess, yeah. just a way to remember Hannah and celebrate her life. Yeah, sounds like y'all have come up with some really neat, just kind of unusual, creative ideas to honor her and remember her on those special days. Uh, so the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. How do you feel like Hannah's homegoing has changed you? Well, as I already alluded to, you know, I was an extrovert and large crowds didn't scare me. And I, I, I would kind of thrive off, off of that. Uh, and introverts out there that are hearing this just, just kind of like curling up and cringing on the inside. Like, oh, he's one of those guys. Uh, so now I describe myself as a, uh, as a recovering extrovert. Uh, one of the main things is, and it really, affected me deeply is just the, the the trauma from the suicide even when we would have our our girls and our grandkids 
in the house, especially that first year, kids just being kids, when the noise level would get to a point where it was, was out of control type feeling, it, it would just begin to, uh, to get to me. And, and Susan would know it. I would just quietly uh, sneak out of the room. I would go out into the mudroom and just be by myself for a while because my ears just really couldn't handle that chaos before. And I used to be, uh, you know, the more the merrier, you know, Christmas, you know, I'd open the door. Somebody's walking down the street and needed the meal. I said, come on in. We've got plenty. You know, that's, that's how I was wired. And so that really affected me. And then, you know, we always knew that Hannah was special and that, you know, that she loved people. But as we began to hear the stories from her friends and just acquaintances, that if uh, there was a group of people and there was, you know, somebody that was on the outside of the circle, Hannah saw that and she would look for ways to include them and bring them in. And so we heard story after story of how people would say that, you know, Hannah saw me and, and made me feel loved. It, that that has has really affected me deeply to to be more aware situationally of, of where I'm at and to to look for the people that Hannah saw and I, I think maybe that's one of the biggest ways that has changed me uh, you know and I've also always been free with with my emotions and and I was a hugger. Uh, but the people that the Lord has given me that are in my life that are really close to me, I really uh, want to make sure that they know how much I love them and, and care for them. I don't leave those things left unsaid. So when I think about how losing a child changes, how it has changed me, how losing Hannah unexpectedly and certainly decades before we would have planned it. Um, a couple of things I think of. As believers, you know, our focus should be on heaven. But when part of your heart is there, it definitely has given me more of that eternity focus and, and heaven focus. Um, not that we didn't already have it some, but knowing that Hannah is at the feet of the Savior just kind of gives you that um, little extra nudge, that readiness to be there. Yeah, I can relate to that too, sure. I figured you could. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the other piece of it is until you've lost someone close to you, and, and child loss I still it is a deep, deep loss, and it's not the natural order of things. Um, but we've we've known friends. We're young. We're your age. Yeah, that's very young. <laughs> it is who have lost a spouse, and so this this is young to lose a spouse, and so to, the, that grief journey is very real, and it's something that we sympathized with people around us in our lives all these years. If they would lose someone, we we had sympathy, and we would pray, and we would minister in ways that we could. But until you've lost a child or lost someone that close to you, you cannot truly understand the grief journey. And so I think that's a big part of me has been changed, having that understanding. Um, Just a much deeper understanding of that grief journey and much, much more in tune with people around me who are on it. Um, Whether it's 
people at work who have lost a child or someone close to them, or people in our church family, or even family members, um, just to be more in tune to those around us who are on the grief journey, especially if it's a bereaved parent. But even beyond that, just a little better in tune with trying to minister and remember their loved one with them, um, just in ways that we wouldn't have thought of before Hannah ran ahead. Right, right. Yeah, we're we're so so much more aware. I know before um, before our Hannah went to heaven, I I really didn't know that many people who had lost children, or I didn't think I did. Mm-hmm. And you know, once your eyes are open to it, um, there are bereaved parents everywhere, um, many of whom you don't didn't even know because it had been years. Um, and so, you know, there are hurting people everywhere and God always gives us opportunities to minister to them when our eyes are open to it. And I think once we've lost a child, our eyes are open like never before. Yes. Yes. A little change of subject here. Um, at our retreats, we often talk about how men and women grieve differently. So how have the two of y'all grieved differently? I don't know that we have grieved. I I know that we've read men and women grieve differently, um, and I think there is something to that. And I would say we have grieved differently, but I don't necessarily know that it's a male-female thing as much as it is maybe a personality thing. Right. Um, I am very type A, have my lists, like to be in control, and not perfectly and not all the time, but to a certain extent, that's how I grieve too. Um, don't get me wrong, I've had my moments early on and beyond that, but um, Jill, you've heard me say at retreats, I will fight starting to cry, and some of it is um, because I feel like, gosh, if I get started, it's going to take me forever to stop. Yes, yeah, I can relate and, to that too. <laughs> yeah, and, and Bob is freer with his emotions. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah, when we saw that that was going to be a possible question, I joked and said, you want to Tackle that and tell them I grieve like a woman. I cry all the time. <laughs> you know, the Lord was very gracious, though, and has been very gracious, especially early on. You know, once we got past those first few weeks of just utter shock and that deep, deep, deep grief, um, most of the time, if if one one of us, either one of us, was really going through a hard season or a hard day or even a hard moment, the other one was not having that deep, hard day. And so we've taken turns doing that. Um, but the Lord was gracious to let us be strong for each other when we needed to be. Yes. And a plug for the While We're Waiting, just general Facebook page. Uh, through a mutual friend, we found out about you guys early in our journey. And so we were able to be on the Facebook page and read other parents' stories and comments and we gleaned so much information from that in the in the early days that it was a tremendous help. And and, and to know, uh, even just you know from being married for so long, knowing that uh, that as humans, when uh, we're not feeling the greatest and uh, things will come out, those closest to us are often the ones that catch the brunt of that. Yes. And, and knowing our our human tendencies. We, we recognize that up front and that we were going to have to to give each other grace in that and that uh, when we saw that happening uh, we could we could recognize that as what it was and and stop it before it really uh, uh, got too bad and so we didn't really 
in our grieving wound each other and that that was helpful and and again too that was just from the lord as well to mm-hmm. have that that knowledge and, and grace yeah absolutely so it's been five and a half years um as we were talking earlier the wathens told me today the day we're recording this it's actually been five and a half years exactly since hannah mm-hmm. went to heaven but think back to those very early days of grief you, know, you said those really um early weeks where things are so raw and so difficult and so much shock and all of that. Talk, if you would, to somebody who might be in that place right now, who is very early on in their grief journey. What what advice would you give to them? One of the things that is so important to know early on in the grief journey is that it does get better. I know early on it feels like this heavy, heavy grief is never going to end, but it does get better. And I, I think knowing that early on and hearing that early on um, and just hearing it and trusting it early on just brings some hope. Um, and then um, leaning into the grief, that is a, that's actually a phrase from Grief Share. Um, but for grieving parents, we really, you have to walk through the grief journey. And uh, to, to be willing to lean into it, um, surround yourself with other believers who will, who will listen, um, who will make sure that to continually point you to the Savior, uh, but to, to allow yourself to lean into the grief. Um, it's just, it's part of the journey. You know, and to, to realize that, that everything that you're walking through, even though it's all brand new to you, what you're feeling and, and experiencing is pretty normal to child loss. Uh, like if you can't remember people's names, uh, if you set a dish on the sink and said, I'll wash that later, and you look at it, it's been a week. Uh, when time seems to just come unhinged, and you don't really know which way is up, and you feel like you're losing your mind, or you may be even having some, some physical things that you didn't have before, and you think, ah, oh, just what's going on? Those things are normal. Deep grief will just wreak, wreak havoc on your mind and your body, uh, and that part will get better. And I, I can't really say when that will be for you uh, every journey is different every every child loss has different uh, aspects to it that are different than than mine and so you're going to be facing some different things but uh, there will be a time when that that immediate heaviness will eventually uh, uh, dissipate some and I experience it or describe it as like if I put on a, a coat that weighs 100 pounds. I, it's there as soon as I wake up, and it's there when I go to sleep. It's with me all day. But I, I eventually uh, learn to, to live with it. Uh, and it's still there, but I can still I can function uh, with it. And so that's it's kind of a word picture that I like to use to describe that feeling. Sure. Like another reminder to those parents in that early grief too is um, to make sure that you're running to the Lord yes. because there's in that deep grief you can 
you can easily find yourself feeling like he's turned your back, turned his back on us. And um, he already knows we feel that way, but it's just really important to make sure that we are intentional about running to him in our grief um, and staying with him in our grief. And I remember many nights specifically as we laid in bed, uh, just holding each other, going before the Lord and uh, just saying, Lord, I don't have any words. I don't, I, I've got nothing. We're just crawling up in your lap. And we just need you now. And, and that's that's it. That's all. You, that's enough. But go to the Lord with that. He He knows and understands. Absolutely. What great advice. Thank you for that. So one more kind of deep question. What have you learned about God through this experience? Gosh, where do you start? You know, without going into a lot of stories, in those very early days of that deep, deep grief, our personal Savior who is also the God of the universe, made himself known to us in very personal ways um, that I don't think we would have known him in without that deep, deep loss. And uh, he just showed himself as personal Savior, personal God, um, and very faithful in all of that. Uh, And I would not ever ask to have to walk through a valley like that again and yet his, he made his precious presence known in ways that only he could do um, at a time when we needed it, in, in times when we needed it. Yes. And just his faithfulness in, in a time that seemed like pure chaos. Uh, you know, she died on a Tuesday, and uh, we had, uh, you know, family and, and some, some really close friends and uh, uh a couple specifically, uh, Shannon and Stephanie, offered to stay with us that Tuesday night. And we said, no, we think we'll be okay. So it was just Susan and I in the house by ourselves. And through a miracle from the Lord, we, we managed to sleep some that night. Well, we woke up Wednesday morning early. And of course, it's, it's the first thing on your mind. And so I go out to get the paper, and knowing that Hannah's... Uh, first announcement is going to be in there, uh, just a little small blurb of her death. And then also, her car had been left at the high school that night. And then during the day Tuesday, somebody brought it home, but there were so many people at the house that it was halfway down the hill. And then so I got in her vehicle and I, I pulled it up to her spot where, where it belonged. Mm-hmm. And I walked back in the house and I told Susan, I said, I, I, would you call Stephanie? I said, we need them here. And... Uh, and I actually went to pick up the phone to call them, and I didn't even get the, the number dialed. And Stephanie comes walking in the door on her way to work with the key. She was going to bring us some breakfast. And uh, so she called her husband, and, and he came over, and she didn't go to work that day. And uh, he worked from home and was able to, to move some things around. And so they they came and, and spent that that some time with us that morning, we began to realize that, okay, we're okay, but first thing in the morning, we need some help. So that first week, first thing, there they were uh, each day. And so so the Lord, in his sovereignty, knew what we needed. And what seemed like a chaotic time, 
he showed us his faithfulness and that that he was was carrying us in that time and that was just one story i could tell you many but uh, we don't have time for that yeah well that's a great testimony just right there you know just a reminder of god's faithfulness and um you know the peace that he can give us in the midst of this this incredibly chaotic situation and i can see that he he did that for y'all no no question yes he did yeah so I know that you guys lead a while we're waiting support group in your hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Um, tell us a little bit about your group. So we meet monthly, um, fourth Thursday of the month, and it's not a large group. And we've noticed um, kind of it, it seems to cycle a little bit. Mm-hmm. We'll have a group of several couples, several parents, and it seems like that that group will kind of cycle through a year to year and a half. And then over time, it's like the next fresh, uh, newly grieved parents um, group. So it's again, Hannibal's not a large city. So the group isn't large. It's not intimidating. Um, it's, it's an intimate group. So, and, and I think we're blessed. Hopefully the parents that come are blessed, but I know we're blessed through that ministry. Yeah. That's a great support. A great thing that you've got going there for folks. And then another thing that we're really excited about is a new While We're Waiting weekend for bereaved parents that we have scheduled at a place called Kinderhook Lodge in West Central Illinois. It's going to be coming up in February, and Bob and Susan are going to be facilitating that retreat, and my husband and I are going to be there also. And, um, you know, we're, we're always excited about having a new location um, that are, you know, not everybody can get to Arkansas for a retreat or to Oregon or to Maryland. Um, but to have something that's kind of more centrally located in the, in the country is exciting. So mm-hmm. this retreat is actually already nearly full. But if you are interested in attending a retreat with the Wathens at this location, you can register on our website, which is www.whilewarewaiting.org. Go to the Locations tab and look for Illinois and click on that. Um, I've also put that, I'll put that link in the show notes. Um, If you get on there to register and the website says that it's full, don't let that stop you. You can also, you can register for our waiting list and then you can also click an option on there to be contacted if and when we schedule future retreats at this location. So, um, you know, we quite often get cancellations. So if we get you on the waiting list, um, there's a good chance we could possibly get you in. So if you're interested at all in that, look for that. Um, and Bob and Susan, we're so thankful that you came on the podcast today uh, to share the story of your beautiful Hannah um, and God's faithfulness in your journey. I know I've been encouraged just by hearing your story today, and I've heard you, um, I've had the privilege of hearing Hannah's story several times now at different events that we've done together, and it's meaningful to me every time. And uh, you guys are just such a great example of um, being faithful yourselves in taking this journey that um, God has allowed you to be on and using it for His glory and honoring Hannah's life in the way you live your lives. So thank you for that. Yes. And I want to thank you for the opportunity. And real quickly, I, I want to say uh, that we may sound like we have it all together and that, uh, <laughs> that we're walking this journey uh, greatly. It, it's not been easy. On the very first day, 
Within the first couple of hours, I pulled Susan away from the chaos into the bedroom, closed the door, put my hands on her face, and looked her eye to eye, and I said, I don't know how we got on this road, but we didn't get here apart from our loving Father and through His uh, sovereign hands. Uh, I don't like that we're here, but as I see it, we have two options. We can either trust God where we can't see, or we have to turn our back on God and say everything that we believed was was just a lie. And if we do that, then we've dishonored God and we've dishonored Hannah's life, and we're not going to do that. We're going to follow God and try to glorify Him through this the best we can. And that's been uh, our our hearts cry. We haven't done that perfectly. It's I, I want to to clarify that it is hard and it's a struggle and there are going to be days that you just feel like you've failed. But God is faithful and He will carry you. Yeah. And I know that even at five and a half years out, you still have those days, don't you? Yes, I had one today. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's part of the journey, you know. It's just it's just the way it is. And I appreciate you clarifying that, you know. We don't want to set yeah. you guys up and say, "Okay, these are, you know, this is the perfect model because man, we're all broken and we are all yes. sinful and this is this is just a messed up world that we live in." But, yes. you know, when we when we turn to God, when we make that decision that you guys, you know, made just within those first couple hours that you were going to continue to trust God and walk in his ways, no matter how hard, you know, not knowing what the road was ahead of you. That's that's what it's all about. And that's we can all have that. Well, thank you all for coming on today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in February. Well, thank you so much for having us, Jill. We love you guys. We love Larry and Janice. Very thankful for while we're waiting ministry. Yeah, well, we love y'all too. Y'all take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and, and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.